you have your Bible, turn with me to James chapter 3. Today we'll be looking at James 3, verses 1 through 12. And before I read this text, let me pray and ask for the Lord's blessing and for His help. Gracious God, You've told us that all Scripture is breathed out by You and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Lord, would You sanctify us in the truth, for Your Word is truth. Speak, Lord, for Your servants listen. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into mouths of horses so that they obey us, We guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Pianist Arthur Rubinstein, who himself spoke eight different languages, once told a story on himself. A number of years ago, he was assailed by a stubborn case of hoarseness. And being so well-renowned, the newspapers started coming up with all sorts of ideas of what, what, what was wrong with him. He's got cancer. He's the smoker and nobody knew it. And so he decided to consult a throat specialist. I searched his face for a clue during the 30-minute examination, Rubenstein said, but it was expressionless. He told me to come back the next day. I went home full of fear and didn't sleep a moment. The next day there was another long examination and again an ominous silence. Tell me, the pianist exclaimed, I can stand the truth. I've lived a full, rich life. What's wrong with me? The physician looked at him and said, you talk too much. Can you relate? Do you talk too much? Are you married to someone who talks too much? 
at least in your opinion? Perhaps you think Barry and I as pastors talk too much. Did you know that the average person speaks a minimum of 7,000 words every day, with a lot of people pushing close to 20,000 words each and every day? Even if you're a quiet person, the fact of the matter still remains we all talk every day. And because we speak a lot, there's a danger. Our words can cause problems. And that's exactly what James is addressing here in the first 12 verses of chapter 3. He's showing us the pervasive danger of a restless tongue. And it begins by talking about teachers. He said, not many of you should want to become teachers because teachers will be judged more strictly. Well, why does he begin there? Why talk about teachers? Well, I think it's probably safe to assume that there were teachers in the churches to which he was writing that were not doing what they should. Perhaps some of them were teaching heresy. Maybe others were speaking poorly of people in the congregation. Maybe some thought they were to be teachers and kind of put themselves in that place when they really weren't called or equipped to be teachers. James starts by addressing teachers because teachers use their words to teach. Now, sure, you can teach some things with your actions, but to communicate clearly most things, you have to use your words. James wants to make sure teachers pay attention to what he's about to say. And if you're a teacher, primarily in the life of the church, then what James is saying here is very relevant to you and you should pay attention. That's not just Barry and I as pastors, but that's the elders to those who teach Sunday school or on Wednesday night or maybe you lead a Bible study called to listen to what James is saying. Because we're leading, we're held to a higher standard. Leaders must guard their words. But don't think this passage just applies to teachers. For James goes on to say in verse 2, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. It's not just teachers who sin. We all sin. And if we're honest, we all sin with our words. James says that a person, if a person can control his tongue, then he can control his whole body and is perfect. Probably not meaning actually perfect without sin, but rather spiritually mature. And yet the point is still the same. None of us can control our speech perfectly. And I think we're lying or naive if we think we could. And that's what James is saying. We all sin with our words. And to unpack this main idea, James teaches us four key truths about the tongue. First, in verses 3 through 6, we see the tongue's power. In these verses, James uses three images to help drive home how powerful our tongue really is. And the first is that of a bit. Not a bit that you put like in your drill, but rather a bit that you put in a horse's mouth. Compared to a horse, that bit is very, very small. But with it and the reins, a horse, you can not only move his head, but the whole direction of where the horse is going. The next image is of a ship. Even large ships are controlled by a rudder. And that rudder is tiny compared to a large ship. Yet with it, the captain of the ship can decide where the ship is going or not going. During World War II, the premier German battleship, the Bismarck, sank because of a failed rudder. You see, Germany launched this ship to attack Allied shipping. And when the British Navy intercepted it, the Bismarck sank the hood, the pride of the British Navy, in 10 minutes. 
course, the British weren't super happy, so they had a counterattack and brought tons of firepower against the Bismarck to really no avail. Sustaining just light damage, the ship contained its course back to port until one small plane dropped a little torpedo that struck the rudder of the ship. The ship could then only go in circles, and within hours, dozens of planes and ships were pouring out all their firepower upon the Bismarck until it sank, debilitating the rudder. A small piece of the ship made all the difference. The final illustration James uses is that of fire. He says that a small spark can set off a huge fire. I mean, just think about the wildfires out west. Back in 2017, an 150-acre fire was started by a cigarette butt. Something so small led to a pretty big fire. Even worse, in 2020, a couple's gender reveal use of pyrotechnics started a 23,000-acre fire that destroyed five homes, 15 buildings, and even cost the life of one firefighter. That couple faced 30 criminal charges, including involuntary manslaughter. Not how they thought their gender reveal party would go. A small small spark can cause such a big problem. And so it is with our tongue. It's only a small part of our body, yet it's so powerful. James here is showing us the power of the tongue, and so often we think of that in a bad way, and often it is, but also the power of the tongue can be used for good. We shouldn't think that the solution is just to simply be quiet and talk less. Now certainly we do sometimes need to shut our mouths and listen. Scripture speaks of the wisdom of holding your tongue. But other times we need to talk. Parents, you need to talk to your kids about Jesus. Elders, you need to talk to the people in your district so that you can shepherd them well. Perhaps you could use your words to teach children or youth on Wednesday nights or during Sunday school, telling them the good news of Jesus. Maybe you could use your words to invite a friend or family member or co-worker to church. Proverbs 10, 21 says, The lips of the righteous feed many. Your tongue is powerful. So is mine. Are you using it for good? The reality is that so often our tongue is not used for good. And so we move from the tongue's power to the tongue's problem in verses 7 and 8. In these two verses, James points out that humans have found a way to tame pretty much every kind of animal, beast and bird, reptile and sea creature. I mean, just think about a circus or an aquarium where certain wild animals have been trained to do some pretty elaborate tricks. Ginormous whales, massive elephants, and even poisonous snakes can do things that you and I wouldn't even fathom doing. Why? Because they've been tamed. But as James reminds us in verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That's a pretty intense description, is it not? A restless evil full of deadly poison. Not how I like to speak about my tongue. I don't know about you. Yet how often are our tongues restless? We open our mouths and before we realize it, ungodly words are just spewing forth. 
How many times have you said something quickly, and as if you can see those words just falling in slow motion, and you would do anything to grab them and pull them back, but you can't. Like a restless child who can't sit still at school, or a restless you who's tossing and turning when you can't sleep at night, so our tongue is restless. It's all over the place. Friends, your tongue and mine has a problem. Really, it is a problem. Paul says in Ephesians 4.29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. So many other places in Scripture say similar things. How is our tongue a restless evil full of deadly poison? Well, there's lots of ways. One, we lie. Now, we might just call it a little white lie, or we might justify it by saying, well, the person couldn't really handle the truth. I'm doing it for their good. Or you might lie and not even realize it by sharing something on social media that's not true. You check the credibility of the memes or posts that you're sharing before you put them on the internet. We can sin with our speech by gossiping. We talk poorly about others around us and disguise it as a prayer request. Or say we're just venting. We sin with our words by letting anger come out. We might say, well, I was just being honest. Or that's just my personality. But friends, that does not excuse sin. Remember, we're called to speak the truth in love. And that in love is really important. We all sin with our speech. James goes from talking about the problem of our tongue to third, the purpose of our tongue in verses 9 and 10. He says that the same tongue comes, or with the same tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and we curse people made in the image of God. And then he says these things ought not to be so. If we're honest, how quickly can we go from praising God here at church to on the way home just blasting our kids for just messing with each other in the back seat? Or we go from praising the Lord to deriding our spouse over something that's really just petty, a matter of minutes. Or we might worship God and then we drop a judgmental grenade on all the people who weren't even at church today. Man, this person really should have been here to hear that sermon. You name it, we're guilty of it. You see, James is teaching us that God gave us our tongue to praise his name. We were made for a single primary purpose, the glory of God. Remember what the Shorter Catechism says in question one, man's chief end is to what? Glorify God and enjoy him forever. We could shift that a little bit to say that the tongue's chief end is to glorify God. You see, we find ultimate purpose and meaning in life in worshiping God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke 19.40, Jesus tells the Pharisees, I tell you, if these were silent, talking about the people praising Him, the very stones would cry out. Our tongue was created by God for God. This means when we praise God on the one hand and then go so quickly into cursing others, We're being inconsistent. In fact, we're guilty of what James described back in chapter 1, verse 8, of being a double-minded person, unstable in all our ways. In what ways are you inconsistent in your words? How does your speech show that you are double-minded? 
I hope that James' words here are convicting to you. They can, they're convicting to me. If I'm honest, there are times when I am double-minded in my speech. And I need the Lord's forgiveness. We've seen the tongue's power, problem, purpose. And now finally, to keep the alliteration going, the tongue's prescription. James has been building his argument higher and higher, and verses 11 and 12 are the crescendo, the climax, so to speak. But the high point doesn't go exactly how you might think. You know, if I was writing this passage in my sinful nature, and perhaps you could relate to this, I might say something like this. Do you see how terrible you are? Do you see how awful your speech is? Well, good. I hope you feel bad. Now, do something about it. Get to work and just Try harder and stop sinning with your words. But that's not what James does. You see, you and I so often look to ourselves to fix the problem. We think that if we try harder or get more education or have more things, then we can be better people. But friends, that's the opposite of what the Bible teaches. And that's contrary to James' point. Remember that back in verse 8, he said that no human being can tame the tongue. He means that you and I can't fix ourselves when it comes to our speech. We can't just pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and say, all right, I'm going to start speaking better with more kind words. If no human being can tame the tongue, who can? The answer is simple. God. God can tame your tongue. And while that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect with your speech, God can and will clean up your speech tremendously if you ask him. In verses 11 and 12, James says that springs don't pour out fresh and salt water. Fig fig trees don't bear olives and grapevines don't produce figs. He's teaching us that our problem is one of identity. You see, the Bible tells us that sin came into the world through one man. That was Adam. You and I are born with a sin nature. We can't escape that reality. And as a result, every part of us has been corrupted by sin, and that includes our tongue. The problem with trying to clean up your speech by yourself is that you are the problem. Your sinful words come from your sinful heart, and so do mine. And just as a salt pond doesn't produce fresh water, So a sinful heart doesn't produce godly words. Jesus says in Luke 6.45, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we should pray the words of David in Psalm 141.3, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Friends, the bad news is that our heart is the problem. But the good news is that Jesus came to deal with our heart. And that's exactly what we see in this table that is here before us this morning. You see, here in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of the sacrificial death of our Savior. The body of Christ was broken. His blood was spilt to forgive the sins of all of God's chosen people. You see, Jesus didn't come to clean you up a little better, to make you a better version of yourself. No, he came to make you new. He came to give you a new heart. To fix your speech, you need a renewed heart. 
you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, then come to him today. Trust in the Lord today. Don't put it off. Don't go home and think about it. No, surrender to King Jesus now. Find hope in the finished work of Jesus. And if you have trusted in Christ, remember that your heart needs renewal daily. Because of sin, your heart is darkened every single day. But Jesus promises to cleanse the stain of sin and restore you. In the elements of bread and wine, we find God at work by His Spirit. This meal is not magical, but it is a mystery. Christ is spiritually present. He feeds us. And this meal in connection with the preached Word of God is one of His primary means to grow us more into the likeness of Christ. This table offers us hope in Jesus. Friends, you and I have a restless tongue. Our tongues are a pervasive danger. But God can change us from the inside out. He can help us die to sin so that our tongue isn't full of deadly poison. Then, and only then, can we use it for God's praise and for the upbuilding of those around us. Let us pray.